0: We're going we're gonna to delve into, dive into how to understand the Bible, a better way to understand the Bible, what the Bible is all about, understanding the Bible. And I'm going to start out by asking you a question, okay? Caprice, you're going to be bold enough to answer this question? If I know the answer, sure. Okay. Here's the question I want to ask you. I'm going to ask you this question. Did you ever think of where we would be right now if sin never entered the world? Where would we be right now if sin never entered the world? In the garden with God. God. There you go. There you go. So, we wouldn't even have We wouldn't even have this. But that question right there, did you ever think of where we'd be right now if sin never entered the world? Is right there the way we understand the Bible with that question. When you talk about uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, and then verse 31, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, they weren't fruitful in multiplying and filling the earth. And it says, And subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now it's important to remember in understanding the Bible. Because if people pick up the Bible and they start reading through the Old Testament, they're going, to seem, they're going to see what appears to be this mean, angry, wrathful God. It's not on. Your mom and my mom are both saying it. certainly is on. I just showed you on my TV. <laughs> uh, right? Did you just see me show you on the TV? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's on. And it says, streaming, number one, it's not on Facebook. They won't find it on Facebook. Right. Okay? Now we're going to get back to this. Remember, number one, God is love. He's not just love, you know, in the New Covenant or in what we call the New Testament. He's pure love. He's perfect love. He's unselfish love. God's love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, and verse 10, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Here it is. God is love. God wanted a family. God wanted fellowship. So he created Adam and Eve. And they were supposed to fill the earth. And it was supposed to be as as he created. Very good. As it was in the garden. But, man sinned. And sin entered the world. And with it, death. Death by sin. So Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it tells us, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now here's the love of God. John chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but he sent his son into the world that the world might be saved through him. You see, because God is love, and even though he created man in perfection, surrounded him with perfection, he knew because of man's free will, man would fall. He knew it. But, but, before he even created man, God had it in his heart a plan for the redeeming of mankind. And it was put in place long before the fall of the garden which was amazing. I don't know if you have to ask yourself this question. It's like, you know, I know my son, my son has never driven a car before in his life. He's not even old enough to drive a car, okay? You know, I, I don't even think he knows how to start it or how it runs or the mechanics behind it, you know, and and I'm just going to give him a car and give him the keys and say, you know, just, hey, good luck, and, and he goes and he, he just has it an accident. I mean, you, you kind of know something like that's going to happen, you know? And... and My children, when it came to cars, uh, Brett, listen to this. My son, one day, he exploded the back wheels off off the back of his car. He thought his tires needed air. Remember this? So he used to put 30 pounds of air in his bicycle tires. So he just figured, eh, 80, 90 pounds of pressure if you put 30 in a little bicycle tire, you put 80 or 90 in a car tire. So he fills it up. And that thing, boom, boom, boom. And the whole, the whole back end came off the car, you know. But you, 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 you wouldn't do that. And so I used to ask myself, why would God create mankind with their free will, knowing that they were going to choose against him, that they were going to sin? And it wasn't until I realized by reading the scriptures... That he knew, but he already put in a plan. He already put in an escape plan. He already put in a plan for redemption. And we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says this. Let's celebrate God. He lavished every blessing heaven has upon us in Christ. He associated us in Christ before the fall of the world. Jesus is God's mind made up about us. He always knew in his love that he would present us again, once again, like in the garden, face to face before him in blameless innocence. That's why when we read the Bible, okay, if this was a group of people, and I've been in in front of a group of people, and I was to ask that group of people, what is the purpose and reason of the Bible? I would get multiple answers I would get it's a roadmap to help to help us navigate through this earth right I would get it's it's a system of of character building and behavioral building so we could make ourselves right in God's eye it's about morals and it's about character This is why our number one filter in understanding the Bible is this, to see Jesus Christ. The Word of God is all about, simply about, the unfolding of Jesus Christ. The unfolding of Jesus Christ above everything else. Everything else in this Bible is just historical information that has to get us to the point in history where God finds a virgin that could give birth to our Savior. Our number one filter is the word of God is simply all about the unfolding and unveiling of Jesus Christ. And number two, let us make man in our own image. That was lost. Jesus came to redeem us and bring it back to where we can look face to face with him and with God in perfect innocence. Number two, it's about the unfolding of our true nature and our true character, our new creation realities. That's what the Bible's about. Now, remember I said the Bible will always prove itself. Look what it says in John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They keep throwing Moses in his face. They keep throwing the prophets in his face. They keep challenging him and questioning him. So what does Jesus tell them in John chapter 5, verse 39? He tells them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. It It is these scriptures that testify about me. So Jesus is telling them, the religious leaders, that you're searching the scriptures, right? You're searching the scriptures to find eternal life, to find out how to live, to find out how to be morally right, to find out how to get right with God, whatever. You're going to search these scriptures, and I'm telling you this, they all testify of me. So here's Jesus telling us right then and there that the scriptures, and the scriptures he was talking about, was the five, the Pentateuch, the Law of Moses, the Prophets, um, the historical books, the major prophets, the minor The scriptures testify about me. Wow. Now, John chapter 15, verse 26. This is beautiful. When the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of truth the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, what will he do, Laurie? He will testify of me. This is what Jesus is saying. John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 15, verse 26. This is why the Father sends the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we know he's our helper, he's our guide, he's our comforter, but his number one, the number one thing that he is sent into this world to do is to testify about Jesus Christ. So here's that's two scriptures. And there's a whole lot more. Now here's another one. This is one of my favorites. But didn't these scriptures not exist at that point in time? New Testament scriptures didn't exist. The Gospels, right. So all they had, exactly, was the Old Testament. And now he's saying, they all testified about me, which is amazing. And so here's, here's what Paul says. He says to Timothy in chapter 3 of 2nd Timothy, verses 14 and 15. He says, you, Timothy, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. In context, you go back to chapter 2, and Paul is talking to him about the grace he was taught, the grace he learned from Paul, and, and how Paul taught him everything he knew about the gospel of Christ, and how he was to find able men and teach it to them, right? To be strong in grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he tell, tells them in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, it's saying, You, however, however, continue in these things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, Paul. And, and it says, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. What sacred writings? Yes. Exactly. And you have known the sacred writings. And listen to what Paul says. And these sacred writings are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which which is in Jesus Christ. So through Paul, through Jesus, and through others, these are just three that I pulled out to show you, the Bible is simply about the the unveiling and unfolding of Jesus Christ. That's it. And once you understand that, and when you get into the epistles of Paul, you understand that Jesus Christ is the unveiling and unfolding of who we are in our new nature, in our new character. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 30. You know, for whom God called, he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. The same view and opinion he has of Jesus, he has of us. So now, of course, we lean on and depend on the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Now, you know, I, I, I want to go back real quick to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, where it says, Let's celebrate God. He lavished every blessing heaven has upon us in Christ. He associated us in Christ before the fall of the world. Now, I want to let you know, the garden is restored in our spirit man. That's why Peter in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, we have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's already within us. That's why Paul in, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, God is able to do far beyond what we can dare ask or think according to the power that's within us. So it's deposited here. Now it's a matter of getting it from within to manifest out. And that takes place... By the renewing of our minds. And the renewing of our minds becomes easier when we renew it to the right things, when we renew it to the correct things, when we renew it to the correct words. Understanding the Bible is understanding the unfolding of the grandeur of the plan of God to redeem man from his fallen state and to his new creation reality. That's what the Bible is about. Now we must keep in mind. There's a lot recorded. Now I know this, this gets a lot of people, this gets a lot of people upset outside of our you know our fellowship when you say not everything recorded for is for us, nor was it meant to be for us. And yes, we can always learn from it, but must we must be careful not to make doctrines. Of subjects not intended to lead us to salvation. Because that's the primary goal of the scriptures, to reveal, reveal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I remember sitting under the teaching of a man who said the whole Bible is true from the, from the first of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, to Revelation chapter 1, verse 22, uh, uh, chapter 21, verse 22. All the word of God is true, and I agree with it, but not all the word of God is for you and me. And this man went through every law. He went through the 613. He went through the Big Ten. This man went as far as saying he will not eat cheeseburgers because you're not supposed to eat the kid in its blood, milk I forget what 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 obscure scripture it was but it was in the bible first testament meat and cheese right but it was in the bible that wasn't for me in fact that was for the covenant people of that day and age who asked for the covenant they were given who who we find out in, in later writings that god didn't like it nor did he want it He wanted them to remain in what's called a grant Covenant, and we're going to be talking about these things. So it wasn't, it's not, there's a lot recorded, but not everything recorded is for us or meant for us. We have to stick with the number one reason for the Bible, an unveiling and unfolding of Jesus Christ. See Jesus Christ. See Jesus Christ. See Jesus Christ. Because when you see Jesus Christ, then you're supposed to see yourself. That's what the Bible is for. That's what the Bible is for. This, and this is why Paul got such beautiful revelation in uh, Acts chapter 9 when he was on his way to Damascus. Okay? He was on his way to uh, bring, bring and wreak havoc on the believers because they were blaspheming, blaspheming his God. And he was zealous. He was... You know what? You'd have to say if you were a Jew you know if you if you you knew knew that covenant whatever he he was very zealous he was doing good right but then he meets Jesus and like Jesus see why was think about it if paul was not violating the scriptures was he or was he was he or was he was he or was he? see This tells us, what are we looking in the scriptures for? See? So now Jesus comes and he says, you're persecuting me. You're persecuting me. And he's like, what? And then all of a sudden, his eyes become open to the fact that everything within his scriptures was only doing one thing, and that was pointing to Jesus. He totally got it all wrong and people totally get it all wrong if they have the wrong filter in place in understanding the bible Now when they were hey look at this is this is a this is the, you know the covenant of law this this was god's word yep and he never wanted it nor did he approve of it nor did he take pleasure in it what well there you go so now The Second Testament wasn't written until many, many, many years after Jesus' ascension. So, how would they be violating something they didn't know they had? Well, some knew. Some knew. But they were the disciples were the stupidest ones of all. Yeah, well, they were... They saw all the miracles. They saw all the healing and they still didn't believe. Right. There you go. Even when Jesus said, you ask for a sign, the sign you're going to get is the sign of, like, Jonah. Three days in the belly of the whale. You know, they, they still, he was, they weren't getting it. They just weren't getting it. And people today don't get it. And why? Well, because of the traditions of men, because of what they're taught, because of how they approach, how they approach the scriptures. Because just like Paul teaches, just like Paul says to, to Timothy, Timothy it's all there. It's all there. It's all there to make you wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ. It's all there. David knew it. David saw it. David prophesied about it. All right? So you keep those filters in place. And um, now we must keep in mind there's a lot recorded. Not everything recorded is for us, nor was it meant to be for us. And yes, we can always learn from it. But must be careful not to make doctrines or subjects not intended to lead us to salvation or to unveil Jesus Christ, or to unveil Jesus Christ in us. And then we're going to talk about ways to read the Bible. Ways to read the Bible. Interpret an understanding of what it is saying. Ways to read the Bible. We're going to learn about exegesis and eisegesis. No, it's not a joke. They are really words, and they are really words really things that you learn in seminary. When I went to Bible school in 1980 and 81 and 82, back in the day, they taught us exegesis and they taught us eisegesis. Does anybody know what exegesis is? Not next to Jesus. We're all next to Jesus. Exegesis. Exegesis is letting the scriptures just talk for themselves. And here's where man gets in trouble. Man gets in trouble with eisegesis. And eisegesis is man having conversations and debates over what they believe the Bible is saying. Now I'm going to give you an example of how bad or how dangerous eisegesis could be. I have a pest control business and I was called into a church situation that had fleas all around it. And I had to go and treat... And I was in probably 1,200 square feet of office space that I was treating. And in that 1,200 square feet of office space, I, be, I became like, I was like, I, I can't believe this. I was overwhelmed with the fact that from the, from the floor to the ceiling, every wall in every room had bookshelves filled with books. Filled with books. And you know what the books were about? All the books that were in those shelves were about this book. So could you imagine hundreds, thousands of volumes just to explain this one book? And that's what you find today. You find all kinds of books on how to read and how to understand and what it's all about. When all the Bible is simply about the unveiling and folding of Jesus Christ as witnessed by Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Paul. And then with Paul's epistles, it's about the unveiling of who we truly are. It's as simple as simple can be. We're going to learn about systematic theology. Systematic theology is what I learned in school and is what is taught in most churches and uh, in in most uh, seminaries. And it's basically, is what it says. It's a systematic approach, you know, to the Bible and, and how to understand it. And they understand it by dispensations, you know. This is a word that you're going to hear. You're going to learn about dispensationalism, you know. The, have you ever heard the word dispensationalism? Do you have an idea of what it is? It's like God moved in various dispensations there was the dispensations of government there was the dispensations of of legalism there was the dispensations of great, of the holy spirit then there was the dispensation of the church the thing that's wrong and and dangerous in the studies of dispensationalism which we're going to we're going to look in at and, and and delve and dive into is that each dispensation ended because it had to end because it didn't work, there was failure in that dispensation, and so because of it, a new dispensation had to had to emerge and so if you adhere to dispensationalism do you do you understand why there's certain people that that don't believe in miracles anymore? We know there's groups, large groups of people especially in the Western world that don't believe in miracles anymore mm-hmm. you know they they're, they're Because the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, you know, when he came, which was needed in the early church, that dispensation ended. And now, then we entered into the the church age and the dispensation age. And with that, see, if you go with dispensationalism, see, that's going to have to end. And that's why they go with the eschatology they go with. The end of the world. The great tribulation. Again, failure. But when you dive into the truth of the scriptures and the truth of covenants, you know that the covenant of grace is a never-ending, eternal covenant. So, you know, we're going to talk about dispensationalism. You're going to know why you turn on the TV or you turn on a religious broadcast and you hear about doom and gloom do you know that one out of every 360 people back in the bible days especially after after paul right a hundred couple hundred years after his missionary tours you know where the whole world at that time was reached for the gospel do you know that one out of 360 people considered themselves a christian I'm not saying whether they were good Christians or bad Christians. I'm just saying they considered themselves a Christian. If you ask them, what are you? Are you a Christian or are you a Jew or are you a Muslim? Whatever, they'd say Christian. One out of 360. One out of 360. Well, we're supposed to be involved in and with a never-ending kingdom, an ever-expanding kingdom. Do you know what the ratio is today? Today. Today. It's one in three. One in three. There are six billion people in the world. And there are two billion who say they are Christians. One out of three. Now, the thing about it is, look who controls the airwaves. Now, there are certain countries who a country as a whole is not Christian. But in all the earth, six billion people, there are two billion that call themselves Christians whether they're Catholic or whether they're they're Presbyterian or whether they're Baptist or whatever, they consider themselves or call themselves Christian. That's one out of every three. That's God's never-expanding kingdom. So we're going to talk about dispensationalism. We're going to talk about systematic theology. We're going to talk about biblical theology, and that's what your pastor is. Your pastor is now a biblical theologist. You're a biblical theologist if you follow... You know and you adhere to what we teach here and that is let the bible explain itself the bible will always explain itself the bible will always you know truthfully reveal itself we're going to talk about here here's a big word historical contextual hermeneutics anybody know what that is it's very important it's very very important is that about- says about that time period and affecting that time period very much related to it and that's like for instance um 1980 let's just go back to the 80s man the 70s whatever not not that long ago if I were to say to you I have a good friend of mine his name's Brett he is a happy and a gay guy as gay a guy as you'll ever want to see right we go back then and what do you think Oh man, he's he's high spirited. He's happy, you know. He's always cheerful. He's always, you know, w- with, with a good countenance and a good mood, right? So now, if I say, hey, you know, I got I got a friend, Brett, man. He's uh, he's always happy and he's 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 really gay. What are you gonna What you, what's gonna come to your mind? You know, I went to go see a movie the other day. Man, it was bad. It was bad. Well, that what does that mean? It was it good or was it bad? Good. It was it good? That's what what Bad means now. It's, that's how you say it. <laughs> but yeah. Lost. So, I mean, I, and you and you know, if we took our time, we could think of so many things. The the way our 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 English or whatever, or our understanding or our verbiage has changed in the last year, five years, ten years. Now, just think about it. You had their understanding and their thinking in that day and then how many years later right 1600 years later then king james comes along and says give me a bible and we get a bible that tries to translate those words into today's words and they get king james words and, then, and now we have a bible that's filled with vowels and 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 this and you know and we can't even understand that and it's trying to help us understand that you get kind of confusing So hermeneutics basically trains you and teaches you, let's go back into their day and age. What is Jesus talking about when he talks about the end times, the end of time, the end of the ages? What is he talking about? Well, if you don't know what they understood the end of times or the end of the ages to be, then you're going to get all mixed up and messed up with eschatology. Because if you don't know what it means to them, you think it meant to them what it means to us. The end of times, the end of age. Okay? You know, when men's hearts are going to wax cold, where there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, where there's going to be great destruction. You know? Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth? Well, what's heaven and earth? What's heaven and earth? What, these, what did these words mean to Jesus as He was teaching them? and what did these words mean to the disciples who were hearing them? The warnings that Jesus gave about the abomination of desolation. What did that mean to them? What did, that, what did the destruction of the temple? Not one stone will be left on top of each other, you know? This is going to be the signs of the times, and when you see these things happening, you know, two will be in the fields. One, you know, one will be left and one will go. And so if you don't understand hermeneutics, what was meant by who was speaking back then, what were they hearing, you're going to get it all wrong. And once you understand that heaven and earth to them was the temple. We think it's heaven and earth. To them, it was the temple. The temple represented heaven and earth. Earth was the outer court, the great courtyard, right? And then you had the inner courtyard and you had the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. So it brought heaven, to, heaven and earth to them was the temple. The end of the age and the end of times, they knew full well what that was. That was the the doing away with legalism and the law and the ushering in of the new age of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, the covenant of grace. And so when you look at the end of the times and Jesus is saying, heed these warnings, at this time flee, at this time flee, at this time flee. You understand that the Christian of that day, of that time, understood full well what Jesus was talking about. And so in A.D. 70, when there was 1.1 million Jews slaughtered, there wasn't a Christian believer who lost their life because they heeded the warnings of Jesus in, in, you know, that we read about in Luke, John, and uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the warnings of John in... Uh, Revelation So I mean even I I, I I guess for 30 years I was caught up in In what I believe is, Was wrong thinking Wrong eschatology And I wasn't Looking at the Bible From a proper point of view And when you look at it from a pro- Proper po- point of view It's going to give you I believe, a greater step in your walk, a greater confidence. You know, we don't lose. We're not going to shrink back. God's kingdom is going to grow. Even Jesus said God's kingdom is like a lump of dough. That leaven gets into it and then works its way through the whole lump. The kingdom, of his kingdom there will be no end. So we're going to look at hermeneutics. Because then when you read about hermeneutics and understand hermeneutics, And it's so easy nowadays. It's so easy nowadays because at the touch of a button, you can have a dictionary there. You can have a dictionary there. Right? You can have a commentary there. You better have the right commentary. You can have the right uh, um, concordance on Greek and English, on Hebrew and English, right there at the touch of a button. It's so easy if you want to know. But I'll tell you what. I showed Lori today, and I'm going to be doing it in, in, in the future studies. I took two Bibles. I took two two Bibles, two Bibles that people always have. And I took one Bible by um, Brian Simmons, the Passion Translation, just an example. I know Brian. I met him. I know where he stands on things. I know where he stands on A.D. 70. And then I took another Bible, and I turned it to the same portion of Scripture in in uh, Matthew chapter 24 about these end time, about these these supposedly end times eschatological verses that that Jesus was talking about, and the difference in commentary was amazing. Was amazing, and you just like you kind of like scratch, you kind of like scratch your head as to how does this happen? Well, it happens because of poor hermeneutics, poor hermeneutics, and and I I I, I want you to know. I am not up here saying that I know it all. I don't. All right? I believe my ship is off, it's sailing in the right direction, and I will sit down with every anyone and discuss the word of God and discuss the word of God. Because I I've learned how to use the word of God and let the word of God explain itself. And then, you know, then we find out there are ways to read the Bible. There are ways to read the Bible. And maybe some of these ways, you know, uh, are are how you you um, read the Bible. And and this is not just to um, this is not the point. That, you know, this is not the point of finger at anybody. Just is just, just just to to teach or or to show how we've been taught. And um, these are the three ways that people read the Bible. Number one. Number 1 is devotionally. We read the Bible devotionally. And what that is is basically it's study based on short daily reading of the scripture. Sometimes it's just a verse. Right? We have our devotions. We get our remember we used to get our daily bread. Mm-hmm. And we used to think, I did my daily bread today. I read the verse and I read the commentary. I read the verse and I get the commentary and I think, "Ooh, yeah. Okay." The term devotions has arisen from the recent belief among Christians that we must read at least one chapter of the Bible each day, you know, one devotion each day. You know, if we're not, you know, it used to, if we didn't, it would, we would be riddled with guilt or condemnation. I remember, you know, we Lord, remember we said, oh, no, I didn't read today. I didn't read my chapter today. I didn't read my devotion today. And, you know, I didn't do my five minutes of the day. But that's not reading the Bible. You know, that's not reading the Bible. And, and, and anyway... The, the, the biggest thing um, about devotional reading, okay, also brings us into, well, the biggest thing about that is it always pulls the verse out of its context. It always pulls the verse out of its context. You know? There are very few devotionals that keep the verse within its contextual meanings. That's one of the reasons why I think the Holy Spirit led me to Joseph Prince because I read Destined to Reign. I read A Hundred Days to Greater Favor. I mean, I read all his devotionals. I read all his books. And when he pulled out a verse or pulled out verses and then he had commentary on it, he always made sure he stuck with the context, with its true meaning. And when you get devotions, you can make a devotion, you could make a verse, you know, Say any you could pick a verse to say anything you wanted to say. And and they do. And they do. So that's why, you know, we're going devotional study is not is not the number one, you know, way that we should be understanding our Bibles. The second is topical Bible study. And and most preachers are topical Bible preachers. They they, they preach off topics. And um The thing about that is it could be good if, once again, you stay within the context of the scriptures that you're taking out of its context. And if not, you get yourself into trouble or you become one of those preachers who makes the word of God of none effect, just looking to prove your point. And I'm going to give you an example. The wages of sin is death. The wrath of God is being stored up against the ungodly. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Are there, any, are there any people here today that aren't sinners? They're pulling out three topical verses on sin, right? And they're going to make a message on it. And they're pulling each verse out of its context and using it wrongly. Now, because of that, we sat in church after church after church after church with topical preachers, who preached that way. And um, like I said, topical preaching in itself is not bad as long as you stay within the context of what's being said or what's being shared. Like, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, in its context, with verses 20, 21, and 22, 24, 25, and 26, In its context, all that's being said there is Jew and Gentile alike, Jew with the law, Gentile without without the law, were all in the same situation. They found themselves in sinful state, minus the glory of God. But Jew and Gentile alike, in verse 24, now found themselves freely justified by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now you find that God, Jesus, was delivered for our transgressions, our sins, and now he was raised for our justification, for our being declared righteous by the Father. So you see, if you take that verse out of his context and you put it in with other verses, you'll have a wrong preaching, wrong preaching. So I hope you understand with with, um, with topical. The best kind of Bible study that's there for us to learn and to grow Okay, and, and to speak in, speak is expository Bible bible study. Now, what's a expository Bible study? It doesn't happen so much nowadays. But I remember when I was in Bible college, I used to love to get my letters from my mom. My mom sent me a letter every week, and in that letter, believe it or not, it was five dollars. Mom, remember that? Five dollars? And that five dollars was was pretty darn big. Because I could go to BBC Pizza, and at BBC Pizza, they had four slices of pizza. They were a quarter, 25 cents each. So, sorry, Laura. You know, we weren't dating back then. But I'd go there with my date. She'd get four slices. I'd get four slices, and we each can get a Coke, and it would only be $2.50. So, we, I mean, so we can go out twice, you know? So, I just look for that $5. It's amazing how, how we've gone, you know, eight, 1980, 20, oh, 40-something years later. And the letters, you know? So just think about the day where there was no phone, there was no iPhone, there was no FaceTime. It's hard for us to think about it, but there was a day when we used to communicate by letters, right? Mm-hmm. When we used to communicate by letters. So now let's think, you, you, you write a, a three-page letter to, to, to a friend, to a relative, to someone you know, you, you just want to share everything what's going on in your life with, uh, or they send one to you. And you decide to open up that three-page letter writing on both sides and you just pick up uh, one of the pieces of paper that that the letter is written on and and you turn it over and you just read a middle section of it a middle portion of it and then put it down you didn't get anything out of that letter you don't know anything about that letter you know and i use the example that's like me you know, let's, let's say we go back 30 years and I, I, I write a letter to my, my mom, a four or five page letter telling her about everything that, that, I'm, that I'm facing, everything that I'm going through, everything that I've gone through, whatever. And, and, and she just pulls it out and she just takes one paper and, and, and she looks at it and there's a section that says, I've been told, you know, that I have incurable cancer, 2% chance of survival and I'll be dead within a year. So can you imagine she just reads that? because she's just reading part of it. So now, if she was to read it all, oh, but praise God, he had something different in mind. I'm cancer-free. The cancer's dead. It's gone. I'm going to live to be a 100. You see? That's what's <coughs> expository, Bible st- <coughs> expository Bible study, expository Bible reading. How long, how long does it take to read the epistle of to the Philippians or the, to the Colossians or to Philemon? And the thing is, reading the whole letter, we get a better understanding of what's being said <clears throat> and a better understanding of how to apply it to our own lives. That's what expository Bible study is. So those are the three ways that people read the Bible and... and um, understand the Bible today. So we're going to be going over a lot of things, but I'm going to call it a night right now. This was just an introduction to, to, to most of what we're going to be, you know, learning and going through. And we're going to be looking at scriptures. We're going to be looking at scriptures and at, at, at what they say and what we think they mean in our day and age, and then take a look back and see what they meant in their day and age, and, and our understanding, and it's going to grow dramatically. And we are going to be well-equipped to answer people. We're going to be well-equipped to, 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 to take, you know, to walk this walk out with confidence and boldness, you know, not being shaken by things that we hear or things that, are, that we're told. And um, we're going to talk about our, the covenants, you know, the five covenants, uh, we're going to talk about why there is mixture, and uh, it's just—it's just going to just going to explode our belief and our confidence in our covenant of grace, and give us more faith and more boldness in it. So, you know, with that, we're going to call—we'll call it a night now. And um, I just hope that uh, I made sense and, and it's blessed you.